Okay. Um, Nick, I have a question for you. Of course uh, you do. You are right oh, now man. in one of those okay. positions where you are getting rid of a lot of equipment. Yes. Um, but you have also welcomed some new pieces of equipment in. Uh, so you have uh, equipment going in, equipment going out. So you have a couple of the equipment going coming in. You have had to figure out what the qualities are that you're looking for in that equipment that came in. You also have qualities of the qualities that you're looking at of the equipment going out. And how are those, um, what are the criteria that you're looking at when you are bringing stuff in and uh, sending other stuff out? Well, I started out by making a big list of things that I thought were redundant or that that I was for some reason thought I had a better alternative for. Um, so, and a lot so of times, like dupes, like you have the same yes, camera, right? Same so a lot of a lot of stuff similar. comes to me because people mm -hmm. give it to me, or I find it at a yard sale and it's too cheap to pass up that kind of thing, and it just builds mm -hmm. up and builds up, and then I get you know ideas that I want to try something, and then I get tired of it. So you end up with a lot of stuff that you don't really have a use for anymore. So I made a big list of all those things, or even things I like, but really, you know, it's, the money is more important. So you make that big list, and mm -hmm. but then I what I bought was a digital camera that can adapt to almost any imaginable lens. So mm -hmm. now I'm having to go through all of the ones I was going to dump and see if maybe and some buy of them more lenses <laughs> turn out to be, turn out to be like perfect for this thing. Fortunately, most of them don't because the camera demands a higher quality optics. So a lot of the stuff I have, I tend to be a cheapskate, so I have a lot of mediocre equipment, and it's most of it will still be going going away. <laughs> okay, so. so let's talk a little bit about the lenses then. What qualities of a lens make a lens attractive to you? What uh, because we have we have all these metrics. We have uh, color rendering. We have sharpness. We have vignetting we have evenness we have um barrel yeah, so, distortion right so none of those none of those categories mean, mean anything to me by themselves okay. it comes down to me for a very very simple thing if i like the pictures i like it that's it and the problem is that you can't assign that quality to any particular lens either because it depends on what kind of film is behind it or what sort of camera it's on or any of those things so it's just i just trial and error I try it if I get a, and sometimes, sometimes you're just lucky and the sun comes out on a uh -huh. day and you get this fantastic shot and then you think, well, I put a gold star on that and then you use it for the next, you know, two months and it never gives you a good picture again. This, so. is, <laughs> this is like golf though. Um, the, the thing about golf is, or at least my whole thing with golf is uh, I'll play golf and, um, you know, I'll, my game will deteriorate and deteriorate as the round goes. But then I'll chip one within three inches of the pin and I'm hooked again. The problem is that I have no control over it. So let's talk about then what your favorite lens is and what lens <laughs> or favorite lens film combination is and how that relates, you know, uh, what are the qualities? I don't have any favorite anything, so I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to be able to answer that. But oh, you're useless but, on but, this question. <laughs> but 
but I can give some examples. So, you know, one uh -huh. example I've talked about before, but there's, I have like a 70 year old, uh, folding camera that has, a a Voigtlander version of a Tessar lens on it. It's a little four element lens. And with modern film like Portra or, well, uh, similar films, Ektar, that lens just makes the most wonderful photographs. It almost never fails. And they have... What, what makes those photographs wonderful? What there's something about, there's something about the balance of really rich color because it, it has enough of a coating to, to bring the color out. Okay. But, but a low, low enough. So it's, it's hard to describe this. Uh -huh. It's almost sharp. It's like it feels sharp, but when you really look closely, it's always just a little dreamy. And there's okay. something about that the balance between what are considered faults and what are considered uh -huh. virtues that just works really well on that particular combination. And it got me very interested in looking at older lenses because a lot of them have, they worked really hard to make them optically great, but the designs are very, very simple, are very simple. And there's a balance that I really like. I don't want, so for instance, the, the lens, the very expensive lenses that go with my new digital camera, I just mm -hmm. don't like them. I look at the pictures and they horrify me that they show way too much. The human eye can't see that much. Like, I don't care. I had great vision for many, many years. I never saw anything like what those lenses produce in my whole life. And I'm not really okay. interested in making images like that. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas older lenses present the world to me more the way I feel, feel it, if that makes any sense. Okay. So um, the artworks that you are most drawn to, Egon <laughs> Sheila, Chuck Close, and the Chuck Close before the... Um, uh, before his, um, I love both, but I issue. don't identify at all with either one. Um, okay. So, yeah. Again, so you're I, useless. You're yeah. absolutely <laughs> useless. Let's go to Ethan. Ethan, what do you, uh, how do you, what, what are you looking for in qualities of lenses? What do you, like pictures. Yeah, it depends what I am going for. Like, you know, uh, everybody who gets into photography probably starts being more interested in cameras and like, this is the sharpest mm -hmm. lens. You know, when I used to buy cameras, I would right. hate talking to maybe 70% of the people that I met who were like, look at this lens. It re resolves to, you know, eight nanometers. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like... Uh, I had by the time I bought and sold cameras, like I was, I was over. You know, I'd seen every camera. It's they're yeah. all fine. I just wanted to see somebody show me some good pictures, which some some photographers really blew right. me away. So, um, so when you're out trying to take good, yeah, when you're trying out there trying to take good pictures, what um, what is it? What lenses do you find yourself gravitating towards? Sure. What do you so, what are you looking? For? So I think there's a couple of things that I'm looking for depending upon what I'm doing, but generally like I'm a, I, I use photography for photorealism, right? So okay. if I'm duping slides, I want a long macro lens. I've been using so those you're, a lot. You're Chuck Close rather than Egon Sheila. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to, to argue that Chuck Close is a better artist than Egon Sheila. I, I'm more of a Neither Sheila fan. More. But, Neither of them are particularly good people, so we, we I won't. I don't know anything about them personally. I, yeah. I enjoy their work. I think 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I would have a much easier time recreating the works of Chuck Close because they're very algorithmic and I can follow that sort of thing. Whereas mm-hmm. Egon Sheila had like really beautiful, loose lines that somehow are very figurative yeah. and I have not, you know, that that's real artistry that I, I could not duplicate. Although, you know, the ability to duplicate art is does not an artist make, right? I got a scanner right. and I, I got a good camera so I could, I guess, copy of Picasso if I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure. But yeah, I mean, back to lenses, I think um, generally I'm looking for something that renders pretty realistically. Um, sometimes I want like uh-huh. uh, a lens that's going to drop the background out a lot, like for portraits. Mm-hmm. So two of my favorite lenses are a Nikon 35mm f2 in any series or a Hasselblad 80mm uh, 2.8 planar. And I think those are really beautiful. And like, you know, when I show those mm-hmm. images to people like friends not necessarily photographers their reaction is always wow that's so sharp and i say like actually no it's not sharp there's like sharpness contrast right the person in it is sharp the background is blurry so you think like wow that's so sharp but like actually if you were to look at an iphone photo you know uh you would think oh this is less sharp even though everything is is sharp so you know the the way it renders is nice um you know, sometimes a little haze and scratches on the front of your lens is nice for a portrait. I try and mm-hmm. go, you know, when I'm uh, landscape shooting, if I'm backpacking with like sort of a, a flat field, really sharp lens. Although, you know, I just wear my cameras and beat them up or throw mm-hmm. them in a backpack. So those lenses get scratched up too and uh, get a little hazy and dreamy, which is not like what I'm going for. But like, mm-hmm. ultimately for me, I think, a lot of it has to do with like usability, right? Like I, I have a 70 to 210, 2.8 uh, Nikkor lens, which is like, you know, I, I would use back in the day if I was shooting a professional job of like, I don't know, some guy far away on a podium, nothing I really liked. And like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to lug that around. I'm never going to be the guy with like six cameras around his neck and a, a 70 to 210, 2.8. And like, you know, like mm-hmm. that, if, if it prevents me from like enjoying mm-hmm. my life, uh, it's going to prevent me from enjoying taking the pictures. Um, but, you know, sometimes I have some really wacky setups. I built a 180 millimeter macro setup. So it had like a 92.5, a 2X teleconverter, and then a stack of three mm-hmm. um, uh, Nikon rings and then a, a converter to a Sony. And it was like this long. And I just used it for shooting pictures of the jumping spider that lived in my bathroom. I love those or, pictures, but or for clubbing intruders. That's the that's <laughs> yeah. its other. Um, yeah. So okay, okay. Um, so when, before you start, I think I boiled it all no, down. So yeah, I, what I like to see. We have like, one more person to ask. I know. Me. I'm going to finish what okay, I'm saying and let, let her okay. talk. All right. Yeah. So I think what it boils down to is I want the lens to add mood and expressiveness to the image without distracting, so that you're not looking at the image and. And you're thinking, oh, wow, what a lens. I just want you to look at the photo. But if it can add to that, then great. Give us one example of a choice of lens that achieves that goal. Uh, well, um, so large, uh, some large format lenses do that, I think, very well because they, they give you a lot of clarity and beautiful light, uh, but they aren't. They aren't forcing you to think about them. In fact, you can hardly ever tell that that's what was used when you look at the picture, unless it's got a very shallow depth of field. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Nicole, what do you think? What um, 
when you're uh, shopping for a lens, um, do you are you looking for specific characteristics most of the time, or um, what do you what, what's your approach to this? The last time I shopped for a lens was, my goodness, I think when I used to shoot digital, and that was maybe twenty. Oh my god. In the 2000s sometime then, okay. I, I haven't really, <laughs> it's really, I mean, I think it was maybe 2006 or seven okay. is the last time I actually bought a lens. And since then, aside from the film cameras, I mean, usually they came as a kit when I would buy okay. it, it would come with a lens. So it was what I used. And to be honest, I don't think of the lens. I just... It, 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 you know, the, the type of lens, like when people talk about, oh, this lens is so good and that it doesn't drive me to want to buy it at all. I just okay. Okay. ended up with whatever I had and I worked with those and adapted to whatever, whatever characteristics came, comes along with it. I just adapt to it. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. You have, um, then you, are then creating images without lenses. Um, Often, uh, yes. So what is the, what do you see as the big difference? I don't mean technically, you know, you have a lens, you have a pinhole uh, and they are, you know, different physical objects, but what is it about the difference between a lensed image and uh, a lensless image? You have a lot more control with a lensless image, to me, anyway, because you can create it however you want. I mean, especially when you're looking at movement, when you're adding movement or something like that. I mean, you sure, could do sure. it however you want. You don't have that the thought of, um, you know, the sun going getting into the lens or anything like that. It's it's just really, you. I go out, I think of whatever it is I want to do, and that's it. I don't have to think about anything else. So to me, it's limitless, basically, um, in comparison to, you know, the barrel lenses. That's how I, I see it. Yeah, sure. Um, do you find that you feel like you have more control um, with a lensless image or, or you embrace the chaos that is... Um... I have more control and I do embrace the chaos. And okay. I like the fact that it does have its own little characteristics that it just spits in there. And I, I just, it just blends well together for me. Um, yeah. Does it make sense to say that it pushes the control out of the camera and into your hands? Yes, very much so. Right. Very much so. Yes. And which is what I love. The okay. restrictions are, are like, there's not really much restrictions. Aside from, you know, when you have other like weather conditions, that can be one thing. But aside from what you want to um, create, I mean, it's, it's just, sure. you know, <laughs> limitless. I feel so <laughs> limited by pinholes. I love them, but uh, they're so challenging to me. Well, oh, go ahead, Nick. It seems to me, though, that I think what Nicole's talking about is that the camera it is sort of a static thing. It does one particular thing and you can, but you can control all the same things, but you do it externally, but with your actions, with lighting, 
with mm -hmm. choice of background, with all of those things, it's like the difference between uh, watching TV and watching a theater play where there's real people running around doing stuff. I mean, it's it puts all the controls out into the world instead of inside the mechanical machine and box. I think it's a really interesting idea, and it makes me think maybe I should take a camera and set it on, you know, stop it way down, put a dark ND filter on it, and just leave <laughs> it set that, that way. <laughs> and it would become a kind of pin, pinhole camera, basically, you know. Um, it's a thought, because then everything's slowed down to human speed, right? You can't, mm -hmm. you can't do anything at a thousandth of a second, but if you slow everything way down, then it's within your your brain's capacity to keep up. Uh, I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, Nicole. I really do. Okay. What do you guys say? Um, would you like to start the Homemade Camera Podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he always says that when it's too late. What do you mean? <laughs> We've already been going for like 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So um, I ran the role. Um, today, I would like to introduce a very special guest. If you uh, have watched the podcast, you have seen her or heard her before. She is our very first second time guest, uh, Nicole Small. Thanks for being on, Nicole. Hey. Hey, um, thanks. So... Nicole is a photographer in uh, Montreal. Um, I really wanted to talk to her today about her amazing cyanotype series. Uh, she made like a tutorial and investigations, and it's like an 18-part series I was just re-watching today on everything you wanted to know about cyanotypes, and it really reminded me of all of the chem lab videos that I watched in college. Um, and... They were sort of what I aspire to do whenever I make an instructional video, but I generally fail. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was really excited about that. Nicole's also a camera maker. We're going to ask her about some cameras, and then maybe we will take some audience okay. questions eventually. So, hey, Nicole, welcome. Hi. Hi. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. I, I wanted to start off um, by talking to you about the um ab about your image making and your love for the for the the lensless the 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 pinhole the uh the alternative the um uh abstract in some cases or um not as you know uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about about those aspects. And I'm, uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube or are watching the YouTube version, uh, I have switched to my pinhole cap on my webcam. So, uh, I, uh, so I'm, uh, coming to everybody through this semi, semi blurry haze. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk about when you first decided that this was an avenue um, for, this was a valid avenue for your, uh, photographic expression, um, and, and, and how you got there, um, and, um, and, and what it was that you found attractive about the, um, the, uh, 
less photographic photographic processes. Let's uh, less photorealist, right? Less photorealist. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, originally, when I I tried pinhole the first time, I didn't like it. Um, I bought a Diana camera, and um, I I remember I had bought a roll of film, and I bought the camera on the way home. I took pictures with it, dropped it off at the lab, and then uh, eventually got my results. And I didn't like it, but it wasn't so much the images that I didn't like. I didn't like the fact that it was the, the movement of me. Um, I mean, I was kind of shifting from digital at that time. Mm -hmm. And so the movement from having a digital camera up to my eye and then this Diana camera up to my eye, I just found it wasn't, there was nothing special about it. It was just too much the same. So I kind of put it aside for a while. And then for some, I don't know how, I just ended up saying, you know, let me give it a second try. And this time I researched on pinhole cameras and I just saw a simple box camera with a hole in it. And when I saw it, I said, that's the one that I want. I want that one. So I ended up buying it from B&H. And then, you know, I was more so outdoors at the time. It was kind of running into the fall season. And um, of course, it started to become a little bit difficult because I was trying to learn everything at the same time. And then when it got into winter, I said to myself, you know, I want to know if I can do this in a studio setting. So at the time I had two, two hot lights. Um, there were two 300 watt lights. And at the time I thought, oh, that's 600 watts. I should have enough light. So <laughs> I put in a, I put paper in and I stood there. And then after I said, okay, well, let me measure the light. And when I measured the light, I realized, oh my God, it's like 15, 16 minutes. And I'm like, what the heck? I can't stand for that long. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up bringing the, the lights like literally really, really close. And then I tried just seeing how this thing worked, you know, trying to guess, okay, how much time would I need and all of that stuff. So I just kind of, it was a challenge. And through that mm -hmm. challenge, I just, just, just ended up loving it. I loved everything about it. Not just the uh, challenge of standing there for very long, but then after you're going into the dark room and you're developing it and you're seeing, okay, what, what, like, what am I going to get with, with what I did here? What am I going to get with what I did there? And it just, it, that was it. I was just hooked. And then eventually I started to get more lights. I started to look into different cameras. And um, at first I had a super wide. And then after I went to a wide camera, and then, uh, which allowed me to bring the lights in a little bit closer. And then eventually I got more of a telephoto pinhole camera. And then I was able to bring the lights even closer. And then I started to figure all these different things out. Then I started to play with uh, movement in front of the camera. And I just, just fell in love with the whole, the whole process of it all. I find and, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I find it very interesting that you have um, moved, you're working with a pinhole camera in a studio because I, I think that of pinhole camera um, users, there are very, very few who use it in a studio setting. And it's very much an outdoors not just even out of a studio, but it, it's a very outdoors medium for most people. Well, but you live um, in Florida, 
sunny all the time, man. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, I understand that. But but um, Nicole, in Montreal, you're you get um, the winter, you know, um, around Christmas time, you get what um, sunrise at 930 and sunset at 430. Right. Somewhere right about there. Yes, just about. Yeah. You know, so, so I mean. So that is limiting. I understand that that's limiting, but it's not like a, I mean, she's not in Northern Norway um, where they get 22 minutes of sun above the horizon. It, it's also it, freezing cold. It's if you cold. That's, hold- that's the main reason. Because <laughs> it's so cold. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm an expat Minnesotan. So I know exactly what it's what it's like to shoot outside in the winter. And I do understand that it does drive you inside. But even you want faster the, shutter speeds, you know, okay. conditions. Sure, sure. Okay. So <laughs> in in the summer, are you never in the studio? Is it is it a just a seasonal thing? Um well I'll tell you from the beginning, I when when I started photography, I was a studio photographer. Everything oh, was oh. done in the studio. Um, I never ventured outside. It was nothing that I was interested in at the time. And um that's and, and that, works with your, that works with your background in fashion, correct? Yes. So um, although I, you know, near the end, I did start to venture outside a little bit more. And it was very um, intimidating because in the studio, you're setting it how, up how you want. Mm-hmm. Nothing changes unless you change it. And then going outside, it was like, oh, my God, the clouds are coming. Now what am I going to do? It, it was like, you know, oh, my God, how do I deal with this? There's so many changes. Um, so I ended up saying, you know, I'm going to push myself a little bit more and start to, to to work outside. And so I started to do it. But then again, you know, the studio was my home home base. So that's probably one of the reasons why when I started for the pinhole photography, mm-hmm. the first thing I thought about was studio because I was just it's embedded to me. Studio. Everything was studio, studio, studio. And I'm kind of happy because now I have the. Um, the freedom of doing it any time of the year. I can do it outside and or any I can time do it inside. Yeah, yeah, and sure. any time of the day as well. Yeah. yeah. And we have okay. very long winters, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am very aware of the long winters of uh, the right. Northern Hemisphere. Um, so, okay, so I, let, I'm going to um, move a little bit. Uh, one of the effects of um, working with a pinhole camera is you have, in effect, an unlimited depth of field, uh, functionally unlimited depth of field. Um, you have uh, the ability to show time, um, but it, it, through movement. What is it about that less than sharp image that you find attractive? The main thing I find attractive is that I can create different stories in one image on one exposure. That's what okay. I love about it. Do you have an uh, example of, of that? Oh boy, jeez, huh. I have to really think. Oh, there's so there's so many of them that I've done where um, a lot of the double exposures that I've done, those mainly are like I'm. I mean, it's it's kind of hard because not everybody will necessarily get it. But for me, you know, um, just being able to maybe show uh, fluid movement, but me being in different positions in the image, 
um, that's that's really what uh, drives me to continue working with this. It's 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 so hard to really explain. It's just an excitement that I get every single time. You know, I'm just ready to whip out that pinhole camera in the studio. I just it's really hard to really get into depth about it. But, uh, it's yeah. it sounds to me like it has a lot in common with performance. So instead of instead of going around with a camera looking for somebody interesting and catching them doing something interesting, you're taking on the job of doing that and making that happen yourself. And like any other performance, like, I don't know anything from rock climbing to, you know, to dance, all of those things, there's just moments that work and mm -hmm. in, you're, and you have this sort of stubborn partner in that camera over there that, may or may not you know get what you want <laughs> and so you're like dancing with that that stubborn partner over there and the fact that it's a little hard raises the stakes and makes it more exciting i don't know i think that makes a lot of sense that if we think of it that way maybe makes a lot of sense yes yeah. yes okay um i would like to um bring up some pictures from your Instagram and ask you a couple of questions about them, if, the, if that's okay? Sure, sure. Um, okay, We're so- We're taking this um, segment from Hot Ones. What, I'm sorry, what? Hot <laughs> Ones, it's a wing eating show on YouTube where they do a deep dive okay. into their guests' Instagrams. <laughs> okay, um, I, well, the, okay, so the, the um, uh, picture that uh, the first one that I uh, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's see how we can share. Uh, let it, me. Is it not? Am I not presenting? No, it's it's my fault. It's not yours. Hold on. Oh, okay. Go. We're gonna look at so, your presentation. And yeah. Gonna, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, so this is relatively recent. Um, we're recording uh, April second. This was posted on March fifteenth. It's this. I think that this is a self-portrait. Am I correct with this? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay, so you are in here twice. You're on the right and on the left. Um, these are shoulder up. Um, in one at one point, uh, the image that's on our right is looking away. Um, and the image that's on the left, the figure that's on our left is looking at the figure that's on the right mm -hmm. and they're both you. Um, can you tell me what, and there's, there's real obvious movement for one thing, you're in two places on this. Um, but for another thing, there's really obvious movement in that there's, you know, there are, are portions that are visually smudged and it looks like we have kind of an echo that's going across. Yeah, it looks like uh, uh, sound waves making an interference yeah. pattern in the background. I don't know how you did that. Yeah, actually, you... it's it's. I was wearing a hat, a straw hat. Oh, sure. And um, mm -hmm. so basically, in the in the position, I was just moving my head, kept moving my head like this because I wanted to get that little shift of the straw hat. Um, I wanted it to be more um, unified, like more of a circles like this but i mean you know sometimes you get it sometimes you don't <laughs> it kind of comes out the way it does and so really it's having myself look at myself and then 
my other self looking away, kind of making like a, a diagonal line out. I don't know if you see that, but that's kind of what I was trying to create. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Like yeah. Line, makes a lot of sense. You know. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is a great example of the power of pinhole. If that was the same image had been made with some super high resolution modern lens, you would be so distracted by all the, the clashing between the the you know the way the image is blurred and then the way the lens would be struggling to make it look real that it you wouldn't see the beauty of what's behind this, which is which is about the gestures and the movements. And I, I think that this is really using pinhole at its best and it wouldn't be better with some fancy lens by any means. It would well, be one worse. Of things, one I, of the things you know, that that if it were a sharp image, we would see that that was a hat. And right now it is atmosphere and it is texture and it is motion. Um, and it, um, you know, as, as uh, Ethan said, it looks kind of like sound waves because yeah. of the weave of the hat, mm -hmm. it uh, has concentric, concentric circles that are moving away from each figure towards the other figure. Um, I yeah, it's sort of I, it's sort of clashing in the middle in a suggestive way. Yeah, yeah. So if um, I want to, uh, I'm 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 going to ask in this in this case. Um, the blurriness, the, uh, the vagueness, the, um, the, what the term that I've been using lately is specifically for my own work that I've been posting lately is that it is not non-objective. It is low objective. And what I mean by that is non-objective is you can't tell at all what it is. Low mm -hmm. objective is you can kind of suss out what is there but you don't, but it's not uh, as explicit and it is more open for interpretation. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, the, the, the viewer has to bring something and it's not just image out. It is um, point of view in. Does that make sense to you? I mean, is this, is this your concept here or how do you how do you figure out those concerns i don't um you know it's uh <laughs> you know i really don't think so technically or so i just have the vision and idea and i just put it into action mm -hmm. and and that's it i don't think too much i mean i generally okay. have a little bit of an idea okay i'd like to have myself doing this, this, and this, and then I just kind of do it, just do it. So, so it's know. about explore, exploration rather than- Exploration. I mean, I am working with a base idea and I do have to keep in mind where I have to position myself, how much far I can move um, you know, from one uh, space to the next. There's a lot of little things in between I do have to think about. It's not just sitting there and hoping for the best. If people right. think that's what it is, you know, there's there is calculations of camera distance, the height. There's there's a lot of little things. Uh, sure, there there are the technical aspects of um, uh, you don't want to blow out uh, all of the detail in your face. You don't want to, and you also don't want it to be so so um, 
uh, far back that it is not visible. Yes, um, exactly. I've moved are on you, to- are, Can, can oh, I ask us a question in the middle? Was that last one taken with uh, like uh, really bright lights? Because it seems like a fairly long box camera, like it's got a pretty narrow field yes, of view. Yes, it was, um, I think these were about, it was it was three three minutes, but again, I have those lights. I, I got new 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 set of lights actually that I added in the mix to kind of help tone it. You know, times were getting a little bit long at times, so mm -hmm. I kind of added some more lights. So it does help a little bit with the brightness, which really something that you need. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and you have to consider also my skin tone is darker, so. Mm -hmm. No matter what time I figure out, I have to add more time. So if it's giving me three minutes, I may actually do four minutes. Right. Um, right. Depending on, you know, how I'm positioning myself and all of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I uh, brought, I, I took us to the next photo in the series. And this is, this is along that same um, uh, questioning line. The next one when I say I was just talking about non-objective and low objective, this looks non-objective to me. Mm -hmm. I have no clue what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, cookie sandwiches, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're right. Exactly. It's a bundle of yeah. Um, what? Um, oh, okay. So okay. So I see strata and I see eyes. Yeah. And this is um, um, this is the, the your nine pinhole camera, right? Yes. That you yes. did this with. Um, so there are overlapping renderings of the same image, but it what that image is is not clear. Um, so I would consider this non-objective. Um, as you are doing your your work and you're with with all of us there are the pictures we create and then there are the pictures we share and for most of us the pictures we share is just a a small subset of the pictures that we create what was it about this particular one that said i want to share this one this was experimental um okay. with all nine pinholes open at the same time and, um, you know, whenever I hadn't used it in a while, so there were some that I was experimenting to see, okay, well, with so many holes open, what's, what's going to happen? And if I move, what is it, how is it going to render in the end? Um, this was really, I just stood there and just shifted myself nine times within that time frame. That's basically what it is. Oh, just to see oh, how it is. Now, this is actually helpful to me because if I was to do this again, I'd probably shift wider and not so not not in such small increments, so that you'd see more of what's going on. Actually, my face going from one side to the next. Oh, I just caught it. So when you really look close, you can start to see different angles of my face. If you really look closely, um, the issue in the middle again was something that. Um, I had the first time I used it because the exposure in the center is always going to be um, need a much shorter time uh -huh. than all the other pinholes. Um, uh -huh. I did do this over again 
And what I did, I put an ND, uh, a filter on just the center holes to kind of balance out the center a little bit so you can get a little bit more clarity. Um, so That's I've been trying to work with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, oh, who's echoing here? Oh, Nicole. <laughs> um, I thought I was looking at rock strata until you said it was your face, like five, six minutes into this conversation. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I saw one of your faces in the top left. And then yes. as soon as I did that, like 30 seconds later, I saw one right across from it. And now I see like eight or nine of them. It's right. Amazing. <laughs> right down in the lower right hand corner, there's actually a really relatively clear rendering. And right in there, there's a clear rendering. The yeah. funny thing is, right in here, I almost see a, a, like a mask, like a voodoo mask or something like that in the center. Oh, yeah, there's the a cat. cat. There's a cat the dead center. There's a cat. That creates it's almost, right? it's, it's almost like if you're asking how many faces do you see, and then, uh -huh. you know, you're going to look right. and <laughs> how many uh -huh. faces do okay. you Yeah, so the, the upper is, left is, is the most. Was that the first? Did you start in the upper left? Yes. And then move away? Yeah. Then I so, moved but away. But that would have been the lower right in the actual. Yeah, exactly. You took it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. that's okay. really, really great. Well, I saw the eyes right away, but it took a while for the faces to emerge. It's a fantastic wow. piece. I immediately want to try to do the same thing with a bunch of film cameras all aimed precisely where <laughs> I want them. <laughs> uh, okay, man, so this is would be also... A royal pain in the neck. This is also an example of a work that is not immediately apparent. It is in there, but it is, it, you have to work for it. Um, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I just have to say I'm a little bit in awe of this image. Um, let's, Let's take a little bit of a shift and let's talk about the camera that you took this particular one with. Um, and um, and it, it's a nine pinhole and is it five by seven or is it four by five or it's, six? It's, it's four by five. Four by five. Okay. And if, if, I, if I could have gone back, I would have made it bigger than, than four by five. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what I started with, so. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll get it for you so you can kind of Okay, sure, it. absolutely. And yeah, as- That's great. Um, uh, as we're, I, I, I'm just, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think- Yeah, I this, is an, this is an extraordinarily beautiful image. Uh, yeah. It really I'm, is. Uh, I'm gonna move a little bit uh, for, okay, so let's- Okay, yeah, here let's comes the camera, let's that show camera. that. Yeah. Okay. There she is. <laughs> DIY. And, and this is, um, it looks like it's foam core. And yes, it's foam core. Okay. And I just have uh, something in the back here just to keep it, it's shaped. And Do you use Velcro? Velcro. <laughs> uh, Sorry? I'm going to rip off Velcro as a, as a uh, medium. <laughs> That's Metal, great. Okay. So um, for those of uh, those people who are listening uh, while driving, this is um, uh, just a, a box. It is uh, a uh, a box that is it's just black bigger than a four by five film holder. 
Um, and it looks like it's a relatively long focal length. Is that about 150 millimeter? Just uh, about. Mm, okay. Just about, yeah, close to. Okay. Close um, to. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you about focal length here in a second. But sure. it, it has nine uh, pinholes all in a grid. And mm -hmm. how do you, are these, what is your shutter mechanism on that? Is it a, <laughs> It's tape. Just tape yeah. over it. Okay. The, and that works perfectly well. And and especially one of the things that I've I've been thinking about is with your uh setup in the studio, you can have the lights off un you know to, uh, expose the the or open up the, the pinholes and then light yourself and then you know time it with with that type of thing which allows you a lot of flexibility i think um as opposed to doing it outside if you're you know if you're sunny 16 sunny 16ing um even um you know like 100 speed film you know that's a second outside yeah um so yeah. Um, it, 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 I, I see some advantages of working in the studio that I didn't previously, um, previously see. So, um, you talk, um, you, uh, were on the LFPP, the large format, uh, photography podcast, not too long ago, yes. a few weeks ago. Um, and you talked about the idea of moving bigger, moving to five by seven, uh, as opposed to four by five. And you just said, I would rather have had this be a bigger camera. Why seven, um, five by seven though? Well, but what's the advantage? Why, why do you want to make that larger? Um, uh, make that step um, larger? So I'd be able to maybe spread the holes a little bit further apart. And okay. also, um, again, if I'm doing this in studio, I have to be somewhat close. The lights have to be close and the camera has to somewhat be close to me. So I can get, I end up cutting a lot on the sides. So if oh, it's gosh. maybe a little bit bigger, I'd have a little bit more room to kind of get a complete end um, on both sides. So that was mostly why I would have done it bigger. Okay. If this was just maybe six holes, it, it would have, it would be okay. Okay, um, but I think the nine holes it would have to be bigger, a bigger camera. But that's just oh, so. So, <laughs> so would you make it? Oh, wait, wait, would you make wait, it? Nick. Hold on, hold on, wait. hold on. Would you make it wider, but not <laughs> longer? <laughs> mm. Wider, as you, you know, mean. The, so, or I mean, yeah. Like, so, it this way, maybe you would. It would be a bigger, bigger piece of film, bigger piece of film, but keep the focal length the same. Is what I'm asking. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Right. That Could makes sense. You, okay. So what you're looking for is the separation of the image circles, right? So still on a four by five back, you could make a trapezoidal system that separates, you know, still within the same film size um, and, and make it, you know, th think of a, uh, um, uh, a pyramid, you know, a pyramid shape where the film is is at the top. You are at the middle. You would cut the pyramid at the middle. Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't that because you're looking for physical separation in relation to the size of the um, uh, of the image circle? So 
um, I think that that would do it without needing eight by 10 film holders that are, you know, 500 bucks a piece. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think it would work because so the outer image circles would go off the film and you but wouldn't that's get, what she's, you know, it would, yeah, it would maybe like, make okay. It no, you need the bigger there. film to capture all the faces. Yeah. Yeah. You just do. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. I think that's a good, good idea. It's a little more wide angle. So what you have now is essentially a normal lens for four by five. So it's yeah. kind of a normal looking, it would get a little more wide angle. It would change that a little bit, but I think well, that, hell, and it could be quite wanna, subtle. I mean, you could go you, to five by seven and just move them a little bit at a time. Yeah. Um, maybe you can design yeah. it so they're movable even. So if you had big holes, set your mm -hmm. pinhole in, in a, inside a steel washer, you could slide mm -hmm. them a little up and down. You could give yourself a little adjustment there um, like with a magnet. Yeah. I, and these also remind me very much, uh, Nicole, we had a guest a while back, Hervé Elena. Um, he did a very similar thing, but his were lensed. Um, okay. And... Um, but they were also compartmentalized. So like your, your image circles are overlapping. His were like a, um, each one would render singly in a, a square that came all the way back to the film plane. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, something, it's something, it's something like an ice cube tray, like that, that, you know that yeah. separated the images. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I have an ice. I have an ice cube tray actually in yeah. here. Um, it's and I did try putting some tubes inside to try and make it more separate. But it, you see, I don't like it. I don't want it to be completely separate images. I do like the overlap, um, but I think if they were a little bit further apart, it would maybe help with the center of the image not getting so much overexposed than the rest of the image. So there's things I, I'm trying to see how I could balance that out. Um, you know, I don't know if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think the idea of having slight adjustment of the of the position of the pinholes might be really useful too. Uh, it's hard to say what would happen. I mean, you, you could be trying this experiment for, you know, several lifetimes. I mean, and you start <laughs> thinking about putting those pinholes in a circle instead of in a grid and all the things that you could do. Yeah. It, there's yeah. no end. And once again, the simple camera somehow seems to provide more opportunities. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So if you're not going to build it, I'm going to build it. So uh, <laughs> okay. I'll just middle yeah. camera. So I've got that drawn out. And uh, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Okay. So you are, you're building cameras. You're building your own photographic um, uh, devices. Um, what, where, I, I think that uh, you mentioned on the uh, large format photography podcast about a, an eight by 10 TLR. And, and it, do you want to tell us a little bit about that concept and um, what, uh, how far you've gotten or, and, and what um, your goal is? And this is lensed, correct? Well, I have it built with magnifying glasses, but my whole build is going to change. Um, you know, when I started it, um, I was heading in one direction. And then actually when, you know, this COVID hit and then the stores closed, I had to kind of put it on hold. And then I 
started to think about it a little bit more. And I started to think about, hmm, maybe I won't build it that way. I think I'm going to build it a different way. So I started mm -hmm. to kind of think of different ways of how I can make it, which would make more sense. You know, with the magnifying glass lenses, you have very limited um, focal, um, you know, um, sharpness in your image. Um, you're moving very, it, 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 it would be too difficult. And I'm actually thinking of doing this with people, not necessarily myself. Mm -hmm. So um, that makes it very difficult. But then thinking of the size that I want to build it and then what I will need to build it, it's going to be a very heavy camera, which would mean that foam core is out of the question. So foam core is gone. I can't use foam core mm -hmm. with this build. Time to get a table saw. <laughs> Hang on one second. <laughs> Hang on one second. There is a material that is very much like foam core that's called gator board. Have you ever worked with gator board? No, I have not. Okay. So gator board is very, it's the same concept, foam in the center, but the board itself is much, much more rigid. Um, so I'm thinking, yeah. You could go plywood, you could go that direction, but there's a little bit of flexibility um, that that gator board may give you. Uh, so it would be something to, to explore mm, I'll look well. into that. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably like mm. a slightly shiny surface you might want to, you know. Matt it down. Matt yeah. paint, yeah, right. Or, so, or um, embrace the reflection. And also I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to suggest that instead of the table saw, a small, inexpensive tabletop band saw with a fence, um, it's just much more versatile than a okay. table saw, and you can still cut parallel lines with it, and it's less frightening. It's less likely to hurl things across the room. <laughs> 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 I worked with a lot of saws, and, and I found a small, inexpensive bandsaw that cuts things wide enough for making cameras that I'm interested in making. Um, and okay. so it does have a fence, so you can cut a straight line, but you can also put a thin bit blade on it and cut curves. And you, mm. you know, there's, it's opens up a lot of possibilities or you even just, even just a, a small saw with a, with a board as a straight edge. I mean, you don't have to be fancy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Table, table saw is good for some things, but they don't do as many different things. Well, the question is how big is your living room and how many saws can you fit? <laughs> That's something else. <laughs> well, the, and the dust from a bandsaw is a lot less invasive. You know, it's not hurled all over the room the way that, that some other saws do. Wait, so I, I kind of want to get back to this idea of um, lenses and and using magnifying glass. You know, single element mm -hmm. lenses, and mm -hmm. um, your I guess difficulty in in getting people anywhere near in focus. Um, one thing that I haven't really done too much of, but my friend Joe has done a lot of, is um, like kind of making hybrid pinholes. So they're like big pinholes, like a centimeter almost. But uh, it's, it works out being like an aperture stop for a single element lens. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder if, if you would consider like, you know, you get much more light than a pinhole, much less light than like a F1 magnifying glass. But it, it winds up being, you know, a little bit more workable uh, indoors. Joe and I made one one day. I did not have very much success with it, but Joe's made some good stuff. No, I've never thought of that, actually. Oh, I got to find you some links. Yeah. He did a couple of videos on hybrid pinhole optics. Okay. 
pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I'm wanting to take uh, four tiny little folding camera lenses and stick them on a single lens board and just stick that on a four by five camera. It would give you your kind of overlapping mm -hmm. images. Um, and you might need to put some dividers to keep it from overlapping too much. But this, this like kind of fly eye idea is mm -hmm. really appealing. Um, it, you're doing really wonderful work with it. Now, then I would have to figure yeah. out what to do once I made the contraption. So the easy part in a way is coming up with these crazy ideas and the hard part <laughs> is making a good image <laughs> with it. <laughs> <out of nowhere. laughs> One of the things, um, uh, and, I'm, and, and I'm kind of uh, building on that conversation you had on the large uh, format photography podcast. Um, and you, there was the question about the lenses and the um, uh, and the, using the magnifying glass lenses. Um, I have uh, a couple of lenses here that I bought. Um, you know, some people will recognize that um, this is from Surplus Shed, mm -hmm. um, and these this is a hundred millimeter focal length um, achromat pair. So an achromat pair is, let's see, I'm going to try to focus as close as I can. It is two parts. One of them is essentially a magnifying glass. It is a um, uh, double convex, meaning that it, you know, it's curved yeah. outward on both. Mm -hmm. And then the other half is a, uh, here, let me see if I can, yeah, it's, it doesn't have a lot of curve, but this is a convex, or excuse me, convex on that side and concave on that side. This is a, essentially a, a, what do we call them, um, a meniscus lens. Um, so, but when you put them together, they have uh, a, they do a lot of correction. Yeah. Um, so here I'm going to... And once again, this is great podcasting. Uh, so I have taken the lens off my camera and I am holding up this lens. And I, what I really need to do is block out the light. Here. Let's see if I can block out the light. Um, but you can focus. Uh, this is not working as well as I had hoped. Um, but you can um create lenses that will focus here i'm gonna get okay it, it'll focus a certain distance i know this is this is not working as well as we wanted but you can separate them as well and you can uh flip the positive meniscus lens either direction and here is the double convex and look at that that focuses right on there we go it's focusing right on me so the this might be a really good avenue um to source lenses for that type of thing or for other projects that sit between a lensed camera and a um uh, one of, and a pinhole camera. Um, but once again, I got, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm very evangel evangelical about 
um, surplus, surplus shed, shed and what they have available. Um, and and I'm going to point out that what I just showed you is a six dollar set. You know, I paid six bucks for the Achromat pair, and and that's you know, and then so if you need two of those, you know, you've got twelve dollars in your lenses. Um, <laughs> so um, there is also one other device that I want to talk about, and that is this. This is an aperture. Um, that I bought once again on, uh, AliExpress. And this, this is more expensive. The aperture, um, cost me about $20 on AliExpress. Plus I had to wait, you know, two months to get it. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I think that there's some avenues there that mm -hmm. are worth exploring, whether whether it works for your art, I'm not really sure. They're worth Nicole figuring out for the rest of us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. We are interested in these things. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell yeah. us. Yeah, right. Exactly. So so anyway, those are um, uh, are quite, um, they can be quite effective. So can we, can we get back to this TLR, though? Yes, absolutely. Please do. So, Nicole, yeah. we started talking about the TLR, and then like all of us got real excited to tell you about what we want you to figure out for us about uh, hybrid optics and surplus shit optics, things yeah. like that. But um, I guess what what's the what's the next experiment in you know like okay, one of the things we'll talk about later is um, in your cyanotype videos, you were like really open about like the ones where you were teaching and the ones where you were experimenting and teaching. And like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Let's try this. And then um, I really love that like, you were really willing and open to show what, you know, those of us who don't uh, create prototype after prototype after prototype would consider a failure. And I consider just like paying in time and money for information that's pertinent to other things. But uh, what's, what's the next What's the next uh, iteration of uh, what, what are you going to change next on the TLR? And um, what do you hope to figure out in those changes? Um, one thing is the mirror. That's the big, um, I think, uh, aside from the lenses, I think that's another big challenge just to figure out how I'm going to make the mirror or have the mirror because the mirror is going to be somewhat heavy. It's going to add more weight there. Um, and the alignment is going to be quite murder, <laughs> quite tricky. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a big, big um, thing to consider. And I don't actually I want to actually have it where I can. Um, I don't know if I'm going to actually build. You see, I'm still in debate. I have so many different things. Um, Nicole, can I ask about the, the need for the um, is is a, I mean, part of the of a TLR is you're looking down mm -hmm. into it, and you can you not just have it as a straight look straight shot, through the back, right? Yeah. Straight yeah. through Why the not? back onto a ground glass. Does that twin do that. lens reflex? <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to do it. It won't be the same thing. Okay, got to get that R in there. <laughs> well, wait, R. Yeah, okay. yeah, so it's not a twin lens view TLV. Exactly, exactly. Um, 
Yeah. Right, um, that's just a stack of, of, of two large format cameras. So what is the format on this anyway? It's 12 by 12, that's the goal. And, um, you know, in addition to that, it's also um, making my own emulsion. Um, so that's kind of the whole thing together. It's not just the camera alone. It's also making an emulsion um, and um, creating images that way. That's kind of how, maybe, how I see this. Maybe, maybe this is a good time to break up the roles because making emulsions kind of gets us into the, the next thing, which I want to bring back to cameras. Okay. But I have a, a couple comments, but you were mentioning yeah, sure. that aligning the lens might be difficult. And one thing you could do is, uh, you know, yard sales or hardware stores, there mm -hmm. are these aluminum uh, triangles that carpenters use mm -hmm. that are 45 degree angle, perfect. And they're light mm -hmm. and they're sturdy. And they make, the standard ones are seven inch and that would probably be enough, but they, they make a bigger one for framing that's probably almost exactly your 12 inch uh, so one of those on each side of the box would support the mirror at exactly 45, 45 degrees. degrees yeah. And then if the box is square yeah. and you, then you just have to adjust the ground glass up and down to get it. Well, the, there's another issue, Nick, which is finding front surfaced mirrors, right? Which are fairly expensive, particularly yeah. large. Um, you know, right. I have a bunch of front surface mirrors that are like $80 a piece in my laser and they're like this big. Um, and when you have a back surface mirror, you know, they're much cheaper. You can get them made out of plastic in like a hand mirror or a car mirror. But the problem is... the is, problem reflection? No, the problem is actually refraction. So on a rear oh. surface mirror, like which everything you've ever seen is a rear surface mirror except in an SLR, right? Because it's, it's much... When you put the silver on the front of the glass or the plastic, it's much uh, less durable, right? It doesn't have a plastic coating mm -hmm. or paper... Uh, glass coating. Uh, but what happens is when you have a glass mirror with mirroring on the back surface, when the light hits the glass, it actually bends a little bit, reflects, and then bends coming out of the glass. So exactly 45 degrees doesn't work perfectly if mm. you're also contending with um, the sheet of glass basically doing a little lensing before and after the reflection. And so like a little bit of micro adjusting maybe in order or um, a way to front cert. Like I know there are like clockmakers and watchmakers who get into you know, melting lead and silver and mercury and making front surface mirrors. And like, this and is kind of beyond me. I have another, I have another idea that might be crazy, but if it, let's say the glass at 45 degrees has a certain thickness of light path, what if you made a correspondingly thicker piece of glass and stuck it in front of your film? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, or, 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 you or here's have, another. You could easily <laughs> replicate this where you have one mirror, you know, the right. lens comes and, in, hits the mirror, goes of, up. And a sheet of glass, right. And then the and, taking lens mm. comes in, hits the mirror, goes down. But now we're going kind of far really? down the fidelity curve with, <laughs> with uh, optics. This reminds me of um, my dad bought a Ford uh, expedition back in the day, parked it on the street in Brooklyn, and it had these blinky mirrors in it. And the first week he had it, they stole the mirrors. And so he bought new mirrors. They were like $400. And then they stole the mirrors again. So then he said, enough of this. I'm putting in uh, mirrors without the blinky ones. So he gets the mirrors without the blinky ones. They steal those. Those are 100 bucks. <laughs> and so eventually, after the third set of stolen mirrors, 
he goes to like the Dwayne Reed and buys like a hand mirror for a dollar and just glues <laughs> them on. And <laughs> let me tell you, they were not high quality mirrors and they were not bent or focused at all like a car rear or side view mirror. Yeah. And for you, I remember driving this truck and not being able to see anything behind me. <laughs> it's so dangerous but nobody stole those it was just hot glue and hand mirrors for like 50 years until eventually those mirrors became worthless and you could buy a set on ebay for like 20 bucks <laughs> okay so another suggestion is if if you collect over time uh mm -hmm. from broken cameras and so forth say uh six by six centimeter mirrors out of old uh you know, reflex cameras and then put them to tile them together to get your 12 by 12. But they're not, they're not six by six. They're generally. They'd all have to be the same or else your, their distances would be different. Well, whatever yeah, size they are. Yeah. They're, they're trapezoidal in shape in a lot of cameras. I oh, know. Okay. Yes. So I, I some broke are, some one are, on yeah. my Bronica, uh, yeah. on one of my Bronicas. It actually came broken. And so uh, I got one out of a GF, uh, a few Fuji, GF or no F whatever the old name for it was. It was the eight, the six by eight electronic camera, and those things break and can't be repaired. And those mirrors are square and they're pretty big. Okay. Um, and they and you'd want them all the same if you bought different brands. Yeah. Maybe different thicknesses and it wouldn't work. But you could tile it. Um, that'd be an idea anyway. Okay. Um, I wonder if you could just make your own mirror. This I don't know. Is, I'm. I've got another Google window open right now, searching for front surface acrylic mirrors that could be laser cut <laughs> to uh, first surface. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm Ethan will make on it. A tangent. <laughs> Interesting. Pricing but I was thinking that okay, so instead of the two mirrors, you could also just put a sheet of glass that's the same thickness as your cheap mirror at a 45 degree angle between the lens and the film so that you would counter, you know, you would, uh, there would be the same amount of di diffraction mm -hmm. in both. That would be another workaround, um, I would think. Uh, yeah, so FSN.com yeah. will make you a 12 by 12 front surface mirror out of uh, three millimeter acrylic for $90. Oh, that's reasonable. Okay. Medium. But but I mean how many of those do you have to have cut before before you know it, like that's the first prototype. You're gonna go six hundred dollars <laughs> deep into mirrors. Yeah, it's uh well we'll yeah. do some look. Well, these this are great these are great ideas, guys. Thanks a lot. These <laughs> yeah. are great things to Thanks, think about. guys. Thank you. <laughs> Super good input. Hey, um, should we uh, switch roles and, and maybe yeah. talk about some homemade emulsions and uh, cyanotype stuff next and we'll get back to cameras? Yep. All right, here we go. Sounds great.
first vaccination. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and we're back. <laughs> All right. So when when we left, um, we had just started talking a little bit um, about uh, homemade emulsions and um, homemade cameras for the purpose of using with those emulsions. And I I wanted to break this up because I I wanted to talk about those in some other segments. But um, I guess I really wanted to talk to Nicole today because of her series on um, cyanotypes. There's 18 videos on YouTube. I think they're really, really great. They're done extremely matter-of-factly, and it's sort of what I aspire to when I make a YouTube video, although there's always a lot of goofiness and uh, bad filming on my part. But they're... They remind me, uh, I've said this before, like they, they remind me of the chem lab videos that we watched uh, before every chemistry lab in like uh, Chem 207 at Cornell. And um, they're just like, all right, this is this is what we're doing. And then they get kind of more personal uh, where you talk about buying every sheet of paper in an art supply store and then testing them and seeing which leads to better color and tone and contrast and and then they even go you know into troubleshooting tips and um you know testing one variable uh and seeing what the effect is and then like in in text between the variables or between the experiments you would just lay out like um you know, like you, you would test the amount of emulsion on a piece of paper or the the um, exposure time. And then you would say, like, these 25 other things also affect this thing. And it was a really super duper thorough guide into emulsion making, which is something I've never really done. I've thought about making machines to coat film before. But, um, yeah, I was I was super into them and I wanted to talk about it. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll get into other types of emulsions. And I know cyanotype is a very, very not sensitive process and not really something that most people or anybody shoots inside of a camera. But um, yeah, Nicole, let's uh, let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about um, homemade emulsions of all sorts. And uh, let, let's start with this. Like, how did you discover the cyanotype process and uh, how did you get into it? Um, I, I, it was in 2015 or 2013, I think when I discovered cyanotype, once I got into film, um, it just opened up a lot of other, um, opened up to a lot, a lot of other searches and cyanotype was something that, uh, you know, popped up in a search. So I started to just read about it and I said, it looks kind of interesting. It's not very difficult. The chemicals are very easy to get. And then I just said, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. So that's what I did. I bought a, a, a kit from B&H and then I went to a craft store. I bought my paper and I just started to experiment with it. And I love the hands-on that you have with this thing. Um, I really, really enjoy um, the testing and the figuring out of it all. And um, that's how it, it began. Once I did it once, I'm like, I'm going to see how this kind of forms with my um, own type of imagery and um, my self-portraits as well. And it just kind of snowballed and um, has become something that I do um, quite often. Not as much as pinhole, but it's something that's uh, up there when I decide to do or create any kind of work. 
and and so, and so most of what you um, most of what you've worked on has been digital internegatives, for lack of a better term, right? Um, and then and then contact prints. Um, I I assume like the sensitivity of cyanotype is something like point zero one ISO or something ridiculous like that. You I, we had a conversation a long time ago. Uh, maybe offline about like building an exposure box and like not having enough Canadian sun to actually <laughs> expose these things, even in the sunlight sometimes. But um, I'm sort of curious, have you ever tried or thought about using it as sort of a direct negative or positive? Uh, yes, I have. And um, I'll be able to really work on it right now because the summer's coming and there's going to be a lot more sun. I was trying to see if I could figure it out um, again, in the studio setting, which is just impossible. It's just too difficult. So um, I built um, a few boxes. Um, actually, this is one of them here. I have one here. This is the first one that I built and that I was testing with. That's some lens. This is a magnifying glass lens. So. Not only is it, uh, and this is for people who are at home or uh, people who are not watching, not only is it a magnifying glass lens, the lens has not been removed from the magnifying glass and the magnifying glass kind of sticks out <laughs> from the body of the camera, which yeah. makes it way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and hold it like this or whatever. Anyway, so I, you know, it's very similar to my pinhole cameras, but, um, you know, just the lens is different, of course. The, and that's how I kind of started to experiment with it. Um, and, um, you know, the distance here is just very long. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of things I have to consider. And I was also thinking of using a projector lens at one point to try and see if I can get a decent enough projection onto the paper, um, not in a camera style um, um, workflow, but actually kind of against the wall kind of thing. Um, having it project where the subject would be here and I would have it kind of project up or down onto the paper. There's all these different things that I was trying to think of, but working indoors with this process, it's just, it's, 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 um, I don't, I don't know how that would work. Um, it's just not sensitive enough. Um, I have tried cutting a hole and placing a UV light on top, but it's too, it, doesn't work that it's too strong having it too close because the cyanotype just goes blue, but it doesn't have enough time to actually get an indent of the, the, the image that's on that's shining onto the paper. So I kind of threw that out of the window. And then I figured I'd make an eight by 10 like that and work with an eight bigger one. <laughs> so this is kind of the same thing, but it's uh, eight wow. by 10. I made the same kind of- uh, And these are one <laughs> Uh, these are ones um, home core boxes. These are foam core boxes, yeah. yeah. So I just redid it and I did it in an eight by ten. And um I'm really excited because this is what I'm gonna try to work with um outside. Um and there is also a matter of the emulsion that I'll have to actually make my own emulsion to make it work. I've um there's a book called um Ferric and holographic um, processes. And it's a book that has a lot of the old school um, formulas, formulas that are very, very sensitive to um, 
than the ones that you'll buy in a kit. And that's what I'm looking to work with, as well as working with a process that creates a direct positive onto the paper. Um, oh, so that's really? something else I'm looking at. Yeah. So then, yeah, that's another thing. So this is a kind of a huge, um, a huge <laughs> project for me. Um, and I have very limited time because the summer's not very long. I don't know how long this is going to take me to get, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to get some successful images with this whole process in this box camera. That's my goal for the type in a box. And that's uh, that's still going to be plenty slow enough to use, you know, the top hat shutter approach rather than uh, you're, you're still looking at long exposures, right? Yeah, it's still going to be long exposures, but I'm hoping with the combination of maybe an emulsion that's much more sensitive, mm -hmm. maybe it might pull in something. I don't know. I have to figure something out. I was kind of going to build the camera as well, like kind of having like a sunroof to help more mm -hmm. light enter the box. So that's another way that I might be um, exercising to see if that might actually help with, um, you know, increasing a slower, increasing more sensitivity, so that the exposures won't be as long. Again, so there's a lot of factors that I'm um, have to think about. Um, I have my list, and I'm just going to go through each of them. And if I have to alter the box, I'll alter the box to whatever uh, next step I decide to take. And hopefully, I guess you can always. You could always crank up the lights too, I guess. Um. <laughs> well, when you're out in the sun, you know, this is this is the thing. I it has to be completely like, you know, a really super bright sunny day. I don't know if I have to be on a mountaintop or something to make it work, but yeah. that would yeah, help. Yeah. Of, yeah, there's a lot of considerations, um, but I'm excited for this project for the summer. I'm hoping that uh, that'll work. I played around with this a little bit before trying to expose onto um, uh, cyanotype uh, sensitive paper using um, one of my view cameras. And it, it failed miserably. And eventually I hit upon one of the factors and that is that every one of my lenses was coded to eliminate UV light. <laughs> So that's one of the things that I, you know, I'm sure those magnifying glasses are not coded, um, uh, but that is something that, that um, you know, those of yeah. you experimenting at home. Um, and, and one of the ways to find that out is put the lens on the piece of paper, expose it in the sun, and if there is a change in um, uh, sensitivity, you know it's, it's coded bond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so I think that that's, uh, you know, that's one thing to, to, to yeah. work. So, that's, Hey, Ethan, are, are there mm -hmm. any subs? Nick, you just got out. I got, Hey, uh, Ethan. I don't know why. uh, uh, well, my microphone's on. Can you hear, not hear me? Yeah. No, I, I will hold on. Okay. Yeah. I think it, it cut out on your end, Ethan. Sorry. Go um, ahead. Oh, I just wondered if there were any uh, substances you could make a lens out of that transmit UV light better than glass. Uh, this is a great mm. question. That's a I great question. That is an excellent question. I, yeah, because at I, one point I was thinking of using an actual lens, but then again, you know, you have the issue of the, you know, it blocking UV light. But um, my guess that's is a that very good question. 
polycarbonate mm. would work a little bit better than uh standard you know flint or crown glass but that's totally just made up no right my now. my I, so this is a concern i work in front of a, a very bright forge that throws out basically sunlight and oh the uh, my eye doctor said polycarbonate is a perfectly good uv blocker and i don't have to worry about my eyes frying so because well, most work, safety then. glasses are are polycarbonate yep. yeah so oh. i don't know but something to think about anyway mm. huh. uh interesting francois in the yeah. chat uh suggests using like a giant fresnel lens uh, might be a good light collector if not super sharp oh yeah uh, he also says that glass transmit UV, but acrylic does not. So I had it backwards again. I, I, I know that this is possible. I don't know, you know what the what the appropriate material is. So um, I, you were talking about um, making uh, your own emulsion. Um, let's let's head down that path <laughs> um okay. are you looking or and here's here i have to leave in a couple of minutes uh i am going to show uh because i have that same deal i just wanted to show you guys this big oh, um wow. rusted tin liter this is dupont 40b liter and what it is and by the way this is dupont but i got it from a guy in in russia um so what it is is it is oh, 35 nice. millimeter film um that is clear mm -hmm. um so it is unperforated so it's not uh you can't get the cool perforations you know and 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 show that you're okay. really a film person um but the other thing that I have is the Rockland liquid light. light. So, so this is a direction that I have been interested in, but I want to know what, where are you going with this? What is, what, first of all, what's your goal? What's, what can you do with your emulsion that you can't do with um, somebody else's emulsion? And then um, what's your direction? Where are you, where are you heading on that? Um, well, it's not so much um, making an emulsion that that's necessarily completely unique or different than what's already out there. It's really just being able to make um, it myself. You know, as things are going, things are becoming a little bit more expensive. And also, you know, some things here are, you know, becoming less available and, um, you know, I, I just thought one day, you know what, I'd love to be able to make my own things. Like if something ever is to happen, I'd still have the, a, a means to continue, um, which started off with making my own developer, film developer, my own uh, fixer. It started off like that. That's how it really started off. And then it's kind of just bloomed into thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could do this and I wonder if I could do that. And then it just kind of snowballed and then it kind of um, started to connect with um work that I wanted to create and work and ideas and projects that I had. And I figured hmm, I could maybe combine the two together and maybe create something um, even more unique than what I have been already creating. So that's really where um, it kind of started and where I'm at with the idea of it right now. So um, yeah, that's kind of where um, it's going. And I, and I think, um, 
maybe a goal would also be is to make a more sensitive paper than the average six ISO, uh, which is going to take a lot of a lot of back and forth and <laughs> a lot of back and forth. But I'd love to be able to make um, emulsion on paper that's uh, has much more higher sensitivity than the ISO six. And that would be that, really great. Yeah, that's really where I want to go. Do you think that it might be something that you would do another series on? If I get it and things work out right, yeah, I definitely would do a series on that for sure. Definitely. Yeah. That yeah. Will kind of yeah. change the internet landscape should you succeed <laughs> in, in any facet of this. Um, and, and so bringing it back to homemade cameras, um, so th this is something you envision using in a one foot square TLR. Um, mm -hmm. Are there other cameras that you have already made that you think that this would be a, a fun emulsion for or other cameras that you would like to build uh, particularly for homemade emulsions, right? I think they have probably qualities uh, that would lend itself to it like big lenses. <laughs> and, well, and I do have like an eight by I have an eight by ten that I built um, as well um, with a um, a graphic lens that I just stuck on the top of it, and I kind of use that as an eight by ten. It does work similar to a pinhole camera. I'd like to make emulsion for that as well. So um, you know, there's I I think if I do get it and it works, it probably will end up being for everything that I make <laughs> to some degree. I think once I start, it's it. You know, I don't think I'm going to really go back to anything else. So, yeah. yeah. Not even 35 millimeter film? I actually do have 35 uh, millimeter film that's um, blank, like uh, Graham has. I do have. I bought, like, a small roll. Um, and it does have the little holes in it as well. It does have the holes in it. Um, but uh, um, so I'm going to start with 35. Yeah, Work yours with, uh, with the uh, sprocket holes. Uh, yeah, the sprocket holes. So just makes it a little easier to go into the camera, you know. But um, I'm going to try and see how that works. I mean, I would love to work more so with 120, but 35 was all I could find. So I'm going to start with the 35 and slowly build myself up. But I will start with paper first, get that down, see how that works out, and then slowly then move on to other venues. Um, I'm sure that so, so I'm not sure what you meant by not finding 120. Uh, oh, uh, 120 um, um, blank film. I can't seem to find any. Oh, of that you mean film. uncoded? I get uncoded, you. yeah. Right. Um, I found mm. 35, and that's about all that I seem to. Have. And I just don't know how that would work, you know, or if that even exists at all. So. Um, uh. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in layers. You wouldn't be able to just wash it off or anything. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so that's the problem with that. But so, now it has to be, mm -hmm. so now I'm looking through books hastily, and I won't be able to do it on this show, but I have a bunch of books with recipes, and I'm wondering about alternative processes like cyanotype that, that are more sensitive to regular light, um, that maybe that would be another avenue, because obviously you don't want to make a giant flash that you know, that gives you skin cancer. So, <laughs> but a way, I do. A way to, to get, 
<laughs> but something in the you know in the more in the in the normal range of of wavelengths, if you could uh, have an alternative process that you, that was reacting to that. Yeah, there is salt printing. You know, like um, there is salt printing mm -hmm. that I've considered, but um, you use silver nitrate with that. A silver mm -hmm. nitrate's not cheap. Right. It's not cheap. So. Right. That's one reason why I kind of went back to the cyanotype. <laughs> yeah. It's quite expensive. And if I am going to use it for emulsion and stuff, I'd rather spend the money for that than um, on salt printing. I'd much rather right. put it right. Yeah, invest it in that. So, so I think of the way silver nitrate works as essentially being speed up, speeded up tarnishing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's basically metal that is tarnishing. And I always wondered if there'd be a way to do some sort of you know, rust-based <laughs> emulsion. <laughs> but I guess, I guess uh, it wouldn't be photosensitive. You'd have to spray everything with water or something. I don't know. It probably wouldn't work at all. Yeah, there's a lot of um, experimenting that I'm going to have to do with this. Um, yeah, a lot speed of is the thing. Yeah. That's the hard thing. Yeah, I mean, I got all my my. I have all my tools. You know, everything that I need to make it, and it's just a matter of just sitting down now and just going for it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I got my magnetic stirs. Um, I got two of those um, and I got one that doesn't heat. I got, I'm, I mean, I'm ready to, and all set to go. It's just a matter of figuring out. Oh, in the studio, not here, not oh, home, okay. in the studio. Yeah, so, um, and I've read a lot about, you know, it's the most crucial part is when you're putting the, the silver nitrate into the gelatin, the speed. Um, and the amount that you're putting in at a certain amount of time, those are very crucial um, things to, I guess, you know, take note of and record, which then can either give you an emulsion that's very grainy or an emulsion that's very slow. So there's a lot of these little things that I have to like really take note of. So I've been reading a lot of books, going back to the old school books, reading a lot of that and seeing, you know, how and what they did to get, you know, to, to end up with the results that they were getting and um, in terms of uh, speed as well of the uh, emulsion. So there's a lot of reading. I've been doing a lot of reading right now and um, I slowly went through my list, got all, all my tools and I'm, I'm hoping to maybe get a little uh, head start on that, probably only mid-summer, but um, yeah, that's kind of my goal with that. So I have a kind of a kooky idea from left field that may be of no use to you, but if you were to be making your own emulsion on a large, you know, piece of material and have it in your big camera and it was slow and that was an issue, you could say it was a multi-lens camera. You could isolate one lens, perhaps in the middle, that would, you would put a different emulsion just in that spot that would respond more rapidly. So you could paint it on a little bit of silver nitrate in the middle of your of your alternate process negative. And then you could have a long exposure for everything but that middle lens, which would have a shutter on it. And that would take care of your, <laughs> well, that would be the one thing that would be that's quick. Interesting, that's so an interesting, I don't know, yeah. it would be a way to save on the, the fancy emulsion by just putting it in part of the image. I don't know. That's an interesting I, idea, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to open so many doors when I start really digging into this, <laughs> telling you. I don't know how many well, more cameras I'm going to end up that. having. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, 
that's the funny thing, isn't it? It's it's a pro that's a problem for me. The, too many of the darn things. Well, I'm really uh, inspired once again by all of this. It's got me excited. And I, I don't know, last podcast I mentioned that what I kind of am trying to focus on is making big negatives for contact prints. I have the same idea that I want to make my own prints and mm -hmm. I'm not ready or I'm not, I, I don't have the time and the inclination right now to make a regular dark room with the uh, enlarger and all that, but I have trays and mm -hmm. I love this idea of making big negatives. I have a printer that can print a big negative out if I do it digitally. Um, but I think the idea you're having of doing direct, basically paper negatives is super appealing so that, you know, the, that all happens in the camera and then you can always scan it later, um, mm -hmm. invert it if you want or not and whatever. I, I don't know. That seems really what I would like to be doing in terms of making prints is, is something along the same lines as what you're thinking of. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, would just like Nicole or somebody yeah. to figure it out before me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please yeah. There, yeah. No harm in that. Well, we'll Inspiration <laughs> is, is really good. Yeah. Okay. So we, so, we, uh, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. So, so you're still basically starting with cyanotype at this point for these yes. or are you thinking of yeah okay yeah it seems to yes. be a process that's slow but also that you have mastered <laughs> like one one variable at a time <laughs> yeah okay so we have covered uh homemade emulsion cyanotypes the cyanotype video series very briefly which we need to do a plug at the end for and homemade cameras for uh for the purpose of shooting homemade emulsions uh which yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to twist your arm and make you check back in every once in a while. <laughs> I, I want to see this TLR. Maybe we can have some conversations about mirrors offline, but that's, that's a little in the weeds, I think. Is there <laughs> anything that, uh, Nicole, you or, or you, Nick, want to cover or you think we've done it? Um, actually, I wanted to show you something that I built. Um, this is... Um, this is a five by seven pinhole camera. Her name is Trinity. I named her. So there's three pinholes. It's really a weird design. Oh, so yeah. what I what I did is that the center hole is more of a telly, and these are more wide angle. So I wanted to see how it would work in combining those two together in an image. Um, I've been testing with it and. There's a quite interesting thing that happens with this, and I don't know how, but say, for example, if I place myself here, I end up showing up here. And if I place myself here, I end up showing up uh -huh. here. It's really awesome. I don't know how this happens or how it happened. So, uh, Nick, you, I can't hear you. That's, I would say that that's normal. Um, well, no, but I mean, I mean, in a sense that, um, if, for example, oh, it's crossing all the way across. Oh, exactly. I see what you're saying. And oh, but that's weird. The tricky thing is, I have to be very specifically placed. Otherwise, mm. part of me will show in the middle. You know what I mean? It's it's really yeah. It's it's kind of freaky. Like I was really I like if they're angled out. a little bit or something. I don't know because you see, I don't use like calculations that are exact. This looks I like precision duct tape to me. 
Take <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of just, you know, see a vision in my head, shape, I just build it and that's it. So the cool thing, it's 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 really, it's just so cool. So for example, um, I just tried one where I had myself in the center this way, and then I had my hand on this side doing this, and it appears here where I'm like this. You get it? Mm -hmm. It's like freaky. Yep. I don't know how right. that happened, but it's like I kind of got to play on opposite sides to make it the right side. It's really weird. So <laughs> I've been, yeah, I've been like, you know, really digging down with this thing to try and figure everything out again. Um, but I want to do this outside so uh, and see how that will turn out instead of doing it in the studio setting. But Are it's you really weird. Really paper eggs with them? Yes, I am shooting paper and eggs. Yeah, yeah. I do have five by seven film, but for now, I'm just going to work with paper. It's a lot easier to kind of go through than the film itself. Much, much faster to figure things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yes. that's that's a that's a great looking camera, and I'm also really kind of uh, amazed by how far apart your your pinholes are to be all hitting that little much smaller five by seven. Yeah, that or is a little, that is something that I think um, if I had maybe um, had them a little bit closer together for the size, um, you know, for the back. So you see, it's really kind of getting that edge there and it is a wide angle. So I'd have to play probably further with distance or something like that, trying to figure out how I can get myself off fit in, you know. That but, must be what's causing your switcheroo thing, because if it's super maybe. wide angle... And everything gets reversed in in any lens situation. It's basically shooting you all the way to the opposite side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I want you to be able to open and shut the the shutters. Like, well, that's what once. I'm gonna add. That's what I'm gonna add. With yeah. this. I'm not gonna just do it with tape. I am gonna make something where I can just like lift and then mm -hmm. down. That's what I'm gonna do for sure. That sounds time. really exciting. It's yeah. much easier too because it's just a matter of of a flick instead of kind of peel off the tape or right. know, back on if I want to use something else, you know, one of the other holes. So that's kind of where um, this is gone. So that's, uh, this is the build I, I decided to make when I couldn't continue the TLR because of everything closing down. And I was, I had an itch to build something and this is what I ended up making. Yeah. And so what kind of exposure times are you getting with this camera and a paper um, negative? For the middle hole, I'm getting about it's it's an f of two eighty seven, and uh, is it two eighty seven? I think, and it's giving me about roughly two and a half minutes. Again, depending on how close okay. that light is to me and how much oh, light yeah. I'm using, but it's not that bad for time. Right. Um, okay. I can do two and a half, three minutes, and that's good. You know. When it starts getting past like four minutes, it's it's a little. <laughs> it's a little I can't shaky. hold still for anything you close to those shaky, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I my personal time is in the in the split second. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Mr. Blurry. <laughs> I I don't hold still at all. Maybe if if I was anesthetized, but. That's not much of an image. <laughs> and the side holes are about a stop. Um, stop faster so mm -hmm. that's kind of where i'm playing with yeah that's super cool yeah 
Do you have other pinhole cameras or any sort of homemade cameras that are hidden there under your desk, Nicole? Um, <laughs> well, there's there's ones I built from before. There, there's a five by seven, two five by sevens that I built. Um, I don't, I don't know, know if we've seen them. I don't think yeah, let's, so. Let's have a All let's right. have a quick look. <laughs> While we're here, what I yeah. want to see. So this is a five by seven. Does that have three pinholes? No, it's just um, oh, a see, little shutter. Yeah, a little shutter here that I made. And a little artist palette shutter, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of it. This, I actually put a smaller than normal pinhole. I put a 0.35 on here on purpose, and it creates a nice vignette um, with the images, which is really, really pretty um, when you're doing landscapes and stuff like that. It's really nice. It cre creates a nice vignette around it. I wanted to experiment with a smaller than pinhole and see what would happen, and it's kind of neat, you know? Mm -hmm. so that's what I did with that one. And then I have one that's more of a telephoto. It's a five by seven. It's more of a telephoto. Basically, mace, they're all kind of the same general design. Um, and there's my little piece of tape here. It just open and close with that one. And one of the are you really using? Like, are you? Go ahead, Nick. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you using a five by seven film holder with these? Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that saves so much trouble. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Go on, Ethan. Oh, I just really like you know as as we start uh, talking to more and more camera builders, like. Certain camera builders have real aesthetics, and like you can tell, like if you've seen three or four of their cameras and you see the fifth, you know who made it. Like the first one I realized this was was when we talked to uh, Graham Houghton uh, at Chicken Thumbs on Instagram. And like his cameras are really beautiful, but like take the aesthetics of like Apple boxes and and sort of like backstage props. They're all like spray painted black with white numbers on them and made out of uh, you know similar materials in similar ways and like the one thing that now I, I have realized is like the nicole small signature move is the velcro straps on the back <laughs> i've never seen that before i don't i mean i think we're going to see a little bit more of it in the future but uh, nicole did you buy like a 600 foot roll of velcro like i have 600 feet of elastic shock cord that i use for this purpose but uh velcro seems nice Actually, it's um, the dollar store. I'm telling you, you can get so many things at a dollar store. And they sell them in little packs, um, maybe about, maybe, I don't know how long they are. And I just, whenever I remember, I just pick up a whole stack of them and I just chuck it in a drawer, knowing that I'm eventually going to use it for something. But it are definitely they a little helps. Are they a little stretchy? No, they're not stretchy. They're not stretchy. Well, you could add a little elastic at one end if you needed it. Yeah. Yeah, you you could. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hey, what well, else? Those do you... cameras look really great. What else do you have? Says Ethan. No. <laughs> I, I wanted to know what else uh, winds up with you know. So like when you have uh, oh cool when you have like a solution you know I have these three D printers for making cameras but like. I got a 3D printed valve in my toilet now. I got a 3D printed foot on my couch. Like st things start to get 3D printed. Like I wonder where else. I mean, this has little to do with cameras, but where else the Velcro has showed up in your life? 
just just with <laughs> just with this just with this stuff yeah so this is an eight by ten that i made nice and this is the little thing here and i made a, my own ground glass as well oh whoa right excellent yeah i made my own ground glass for it yeah yeah, so that's you that's the box. Hand grind it with like two pieces of glass and aluminum oxide powder, and just like. Yes, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I did, and I kept so going it... and going and going until okay, it looked about right. Yeah. And that lens is that a uh, pretty? It's long, from a like... it's from a four by five uh, graphics uh, camera. What's the, what's the focal length? It's um. One thirty-five. Yeah, one thirty-five. Oh, so an Optar probably, yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, yep. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Those so um I... right. So that will probably vignette um on eight by ten. Actually been finding... I did I did some I did some portrait and it didn't vignette. Oh nice. Actually, they're, they're they're on my uh Instagram somewhere. Um that Well I've never in... tried it. I just would have assumed that you'd need to okay. be at least a two hundred and ten millimeter focal length. Uh but you know that's an infinity. Of course, if you're doing portraits, it's fine. Of course, that's what yeah. it is. You're yeah. not focusing on infinity, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's great because then you don't. It's nice and wide, so yeah. you, you don't. Yeah, that that really would should work really well. And I also use um, like I had these old caulking filters that I had bought a long time ago when I used to shoot thirty five, and it's a close up lens, so. In order to change the perspective, I'll I'll put either the close up one or close up two, and then I can get a different um, mm -hmm. composition wise and close bring it in closer in, which is what I, how I love my images. So it's kind of neat. So instead of it, you know, I I can just leave it there and just stick something on there, and then I get a different frame. You know, is that a uh, is it on the lens board it came with? Is that a, a four by five pacemaker lens board? It looks like aluminum. Yeah, it is yeah. actually the lens yeah. board. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm sort of standardizing everything to that. That lens is the lens that was on my dad's camera that he carried as a reporter when he started working as a, as a reporter. I have his old crown graphic and it has that exact lens. It's a really nice lens. It's, yes. it's actually surprisingly good. Uh, and I have uh, been switching everything to those lens boards because it's just easier. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly using old press cameras and I can swap everything around and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I'm even making it so I can mount them on other cameras, like switching all the cameras to, to that standard because I just don't like taking them, unscrewing it and changing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Nick just bought like a uh, $90,000 digital camera that he's now putting graphite <laughs> pacemaker <laughs> lens boards on. You're you're grossly exaggerating, but yes, I am going to make a little bellows for for it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm definitely doing that. That sensor, nice and dusty. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I've uh, just standardized it, uh, the M65. Um, there's a guy in in, uh, in Russia. I think he's in Moscow, or maybe he's in Belarus. I don't remember, but he makes uh, adapters that. Fit a lot of modern cameras, but then connect to a plain M65 ring, and they're in really inexpensive. You have to wait a couple months and pay the shipping, but they're um, they're great. And and then that means you can just put whatever on the camera once you once you get that first connection, and it's nice and close to the 
it's short too. So, mm. yeah. Well, we'll see. All right. I think we'll now is, is the time of the show where we ask Nicole to tell everybody where they can find all of her projects. And I am going to make sure to put at least the cyanotype <laughs> video series in the show notes. Um, it is a real favorite of mine. I think, you know, I've been, I've been looking at it. I guess you started it right before COVID maybe, or maybe early COVID. And I have not really left my house or taken any, any pictures in a year. But it's like, it's first up on my list of something to tinker with. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm mostly active on. Um, and that's uh, Nicole Small um, underscore one-on-one. And you can also find me on Facebook. I'm not on there too much, but it's uh, Nicole Small one-on-one, one-on-one portraits. Um, and you can also find me on YouTube, um, which is, again, my name, Nicole Small one-on-one. And I also have a coffee page um, that you can find me um, at Nicole Small one-on-one as well. That's um where you can find me, <laughs> all my new projects and such and such. Yeah. Great. Right. And Nick. What? You want me to try and remember all that stuff? Uh, so, yeah, in, Instagram, I have Avinick, A V Y N I C K, is the handle I use there. And I'm just Nick Lyle on Flickr. And I post a lot of stuff on Flickr because it's a better way to, to actually look at images. Uh, but I put occasionally sort of the better pictures on Instagram and other people see that. And I am active on the Facebook group for this podcast. Uh, I don't like Facebook at all. I refuse to post anything except propaganda on my own page. But the groups are great and they're really where everyone is. And so uh, I spend some time there. Um, uh, among several different groups and mostly associated with other podcasts. Uh, so that's okay. where you'll find me online. And you can find Graham at homemade camera on Instagram. And you can find us at the homemade camera or homemade camera dot com. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, Nicole, for joining us. We hope thank to you. see your process, you progress yeah. pretty soon. Thanks for all the tips. <laughs> Thanks for the great ideas. Oh, thank you. Bye.